Welcome to the fourth and final session in this mini course on preaching. We've talked about the purpose of preaching, what we're shooting for. We've talked about what it looks like to craft a sermon, put it together. We talked about uh, developing our hearts as preachers and getting our hearts in the right spot. In this last session, I want to talk about developing as a preacher. Um, So this is less about getting ready for a specific sermon, but more kind of living as a preacher and and getting your sort of heart, character, uh, mindset, approach to life in a healthy spot so that if we uh, get the privilege of doing this long-term or over time, um, it helps us to kind of refine and fit into, um, you know, a bigger picture that's a healthy thing. There's a lot of ways to be unhealthy as a preacher. And so this is intended to try to help us be healthy in it. So first of all, uh, I want to talk about developing a burden for preaching in a long-term sense. So we talked in the last session, part of preparing our hearts to preach a sermon is develop a a burden for the message, like really caring about the passage and this message, and then also developing a burden for the people that we're going to deliver that message to. Um, In this, I want to say, like developing a burden for preaching in general, like a, a burden for maybe our specific preaching ministry. So that definitely means for the, the people that we are preaching to. Um, but also just kind of in general, like what I'm doing when I preach matters. Now, preaching is not the only thing that we do. It's, it's not like the only, uh, it, it probably isn't even the most important piece of, um, pastoral ministry or what it looks like we, we do it this, as a church. Um, often like in churches, we do give the impression that it's all about the sermon, uh, a few songs in the sermon. That's the point of the whole thing. Um, really it's about the family living together. Uh, people caring for each other, blessing their community, um, serving the Lord out in the world, loving our neighbors as ourselves. That's what really matters. Preaching, though, is a huge piece of um, mobilizing and enabling and equipping and those kinds of things. And so um, so the call here is to develop a, a heart uh, burden for preaching in general and your preaching ministry. Um, and uh, and so that in a long-term sense, you have this this conviction about why what it is that I'm doing when I get there to preach matters and how it fits. So first bit of advice here, I think we should be throwing ourselves into every sermon as if it's our only sermon. Um, And I don't know if that makes sense or not, but the idea that like every sermon, it's like, man, this is this is the one I'm throwing myself into this. Um, and so that means like caring enough about each sermon to preach it like it matters because it absolutely does, you know, um, like this sermon is not just a throwaway. This sermon is not just one other one. This one matters because I have this week and who knows who's going to be there or who's not going to be there. Uh, John Piper says, compelling preaching gives the impression that something very great is at stake. And I would just say that's true because something great is at stake. Um, we're, we're trying to address people with matters of eternity, um, uh, being reconciled to God. You know, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, begging people on behalf of God, be reconciled. Um, it, it's such an important thing that we get to do. And so something big is at stake, preach like it does. Um, on that front, what, what I found uh, as I've been preaching more regularly is I have this temptation to kind of like, I, I come up with a good illustration or something like that. And it's like, oh, you know what? I'm going to save that. That's a good illustration. I'm going to save it for, I don't know, Easter or something else. And I, that's probably fine. I mean, some illustrations you'll come up with don't fit that specific sermon in which you thought of it and you can save it for later. But I would say if you find something that's good that fits, um, this sermon is worth putting a good illustration into. And so um, in that sense, like developing a long-term burden for preaching means like every sermon matters. And I'm not going to save material as though like this sermon isn't important. Um, 
I think also just letting each sermon become a part of who we're becoming as a person. So one weird thing about preaching week by week is you end up preaching on a lot of different content and, you know, each sermon matters in that moment. And then you move on to the next passage, right? And it's, it's a little bit tricky, but let each of those sermons become a part of who you are as a person. Um, Frank Thomas says, people rarely experience the sermon if the preacher does not experience it first. The preacher must prepare and shape the sermon and the preacher's self from the perspective of experiential preparation. Meaning uh, that as we're preparing, we want to experience passage. We want to let it shape us. Um, and that's so that when we deliver that sermon, uh, it's, it's a more powerful experience, right? He goes on to say, if the preacher does not experience anything in preparation, then with great certainty, we can predict that the people will not experience anything in the delivery. So we're being shaped by the, by the uh, passage and experiencing it. And then we're delivering that so that it's a rich experience to the people there, but also we're experiencing it and letting it shape us so that we're a better person coming out of that week in the same way that we hope our people are transformed by the sermon. So that this long-term burden by preaching is like every sermon, Every sermon matters. Preach it like it matters. But also then being shaped by the cumulative effect of our preaching ministry, meaning it's one thing to preach a sermon on Ephesians 1. It's another thing to have preached through the entirety of the book of Ephesians, right? And then it's another thing to have been preaching, be able to preach through the entirety of the New Testament. The cumulative effect on that should, um, you know, the stereotype for preachers is we're hypocritical and, and don't practice what we preach. And that's a real danger. Um, but breaking that stereotype, it should be that, man, the more we preach and interact with these holy things and these important concepts, the more we should be shaped by them. And that should basically, um, like like preaching in such a way week by week that it not only feeds our congregation, but that it feeds our own soul. Because we're talking about the word of God here and it should feed us. Um, and so we want to, we want to like avoid uh, in that being trite or simplistic in the way that we handle specific passages or theological truths. Um, wrestle with it week by week is your opportunity to, to, to go to the gym, so to speak spiritually and be shaped by that thing. And then let that like, like, we don't have to know the answer to everything. We, we don't have to be able to give an interpretation for everything. Um, I think like we invest in our integrity when we model like humility, learning as we go, patience, like all those things are really important. Just being honest with how we wrestle and all those kinds of things. Um, and as we do that, Basically, um, I think we're feeding our soul a bit by bit, and we're letting people see how our souls are being fed and how we're being grown as individual people. And so there's like this cumulative thing to our ministries that compiles week by week as we approach the passages, not just to get a sermon to deliver, not just to look good, right? But because we are being shaped by the whole thing. Um, I, I think that every sermon is a God-given opportunity to sit with a specific word from God. And so we get that opportunity week by week. Anytime that you're get an opportunity to preach, you're allowed to sit with it and the word of God then shapes you. And so as you prepare that sermon, let God speak to you about himself, his world, his people, yourself, a lot of the reflection time that you spend thinking about the passages shape you. Um, We never have it all figured out by the time we preach a sermon. Um, But I think a life that's lived this way is going to grow into something that's really deep and beautiful and compelling for the people that we're called to preach to. So all that's what I mean when I say develop a burden for preaching in the long-term sense. Consider your investment in each sermon, an investment in a larger preaching ministry, and that's an an investment in yourself as a human being, as a child of God. Um, It's an investment in the kingdom of God. It's an investment in whatever church or churches you get to serve. Um, And so just seeing every sermon matters, invest yourself in it, don't hold back. 
Um, but also let each one shape you and let the big picture of all that shape you. Um, it's, it's a gift to be able to preach regularly and, and, um, it's a gift to be able to preach with any degree of frequency. And so, um, allowing that to do its work with our church family, but also with us is huge. Second big point I want to make is, um, I want to invite us to become lifelong learners of the people that we're ministering to. Now, some people get a chance to preach here and there and travel around and do that. And so that's, that's different. You know, you don't get to really become a learner of those people, although you could become like a learner of humanity in general, I suppose. But the beauty of getting to preach in one context, whether it's one church, uh, one small group, um, you know, a, a women's ministry, a men's ministry, um, whatever, the beauty of that is you get to become uh, lifelong, a lifelong learner of those people. And that is a gift. That's a gift. It can be hard. Um, and, and I think if you have an ambition of like being a preacher who's going to be on the big stage at conferences and whatever, that's just a whole different kind of a thing. Um, my heart is towards be a preacher that just learns these people. It's a gift to get to know these people. And so as I'm being shaped by the word of God week to week, I get to watch how they're being shaped by it week to week. And the only way that I'll know and see that is if I learn and know those people. Um, another way of saying this is like, we, we need to be shepherds, not just preachers. Uh, if you're given the, the opportunity, there's some different skill sets here, but if you're given the opportunity to preach to people, um, that's also an opportunity to be, I guess, an invitation to be a shepherd to those people as well. Um, and so, Rather than just throwing thoughts out at them every week, um, live with those people, be with those people. David Helm uh, says, if the application of our message will serve to capture the hearts of the people for God, we need to possess a heart of awareness of our people. We must perceive by careful watching their internally held values and commitments, especially those things that keep them from living lives that are rightly ordered in worship and obedience to Christ. It's a beautiful... um, a beautiful call to just get to know our people. It makes us more insightful in our preaching when we know what our actual people are wrestling with. Uh, makes us more compassionate in our preaching when we can see, man, the struggles that they have. It makes us more direct in our application and our challenges when we know the things that they are struggling with and where they need to be challenged. All those things are super important. And by now, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say, a big piece of this is praying for the people that we're shepherding. Um, if we're praying for these people, and, and again, baking that into our prep and also making it way bigger than just our prep, but praying for people, um, uh, begging God to work in their lives. And that, that means specifically how they respond to this message, but also the, the, the aches and pains that they have and the relational struggles and the grief that they experience. Praying for people makes us a better preacher to our flock. Charles Spurgeon said, none are so able to plead with men as those who have been wrestling with God on their behalf. And that is just a profound statement. Um, if we're pleading with God on behalf of these people, then we can plead directly with them in our sermons. Um, and so here's my invitation. If you, even if you don't know the people very well, um, prayer is going to be a thing that connects you to them. And anything you can do to offer yourself up as a shepherd to them only makes preaching stronger. Along these lines, um, I want to challenge you to be a member of your church family, not just one of its leaders. Um, so there's a, a separation that we sometimes create where like I, I make decisions for this group of people, I lead them, I, I show them where we're going, um, but you're not just like one of them. And I think there's probably good reasons historically why that has become a trend in pastoring, um, but it just feels so unhealthy to me. And I, I can't really speak to what it would feel like to lead a big church on that front and, and to have all these people. You can't possibly know everyone that well, but you've, you've got to find a way, regardless of your context, to be a member of the church family, not just one of its leaders. Um, here, here's some wise words again from Charles Spurgeon. 
Keep close to God and keep close to your fellow men whom you are seeking to bless. Abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Dwell where Jesus manifests himself and live in the power of the Holy Ghost. Your very life lies in this. Take care also to be on most familiar terms with those souls who are committed to your care. Stand in the stream and fish. Many preachers are utterly ignorant as to how the bulk of the people are living. They are at home among books, but quite at sea among men. What would you think of a botanist who seldom saw real flowers, or an astronomer who never spent a night with the stars? Would they be worth, worthy of the name of men of science? Neither can a minister of the gospel be anything but a mere empiric unless he mingles with men and studies character for himself. Studies from the life, gentlemen. We must have plenty of these if we are to paint to life in our sermons. Read men as well as books, and love men rather than opinions, and you will be in, um, or you will be inanimate preachers. Man, that's beautiful. I, I just think that that idea of um, a botanist who never interacts with flowers, or, uh, flowers, or an astronomer who never interacts with the stars, like that's it. Um, it. Preaching is more than a speech we make. It's more than a platform we give ourselves. It's an invitation to. Um, be influential in the lives of people. And um, it's not enough to say words to people once a week. And so the invitation is to study those people, be with them, learn from them. Um, And I really mean learn from them. Don't just learn about them. Don't just learn how you can preach them better, but learn from those people. uh, And and preaching gets deeper from there. Preaching always has to be more than a performance. Um, I think it's easy to get into the mode of performing. uh, and, And we view the congregation then as, uh, potential s- distractions, you know, um, they're our audience or they're distracting us or they're engaging with us or they're resisting us, but it's easy to see it in terms of us and what they do to us. But if the sermon is for those people, we can't see them as distractions. Um, I, along these lines, um, S- Stanley Hauerwas, um, he, he was, pre- you know, teaching a group of future preachers and he told them at one point, a crying baby during morning worship is God's reminder that you're not in charge and you never were. And I love that because if, if your goal is to deliver a great sermon, um, to be in order, to, to make a name, to have an impact, whatever, um, it, it is really jarring to have babies uh, crying out in the congregation and you you kind of wrestle in your head of like, oh, you know, they need to keep that baby quiet or take them out or something like that. But I love the way that Howard Wasp paints it. Like this, these people are not your audience. It's not a member of the audience that's being unruly, you know, or loud. Um, it's your family that you're preaching to, right? These are people that you care about that you're talking to. And, and so that, that reminder of, oh, here's an element that I can't control. It's God just saying, you're not in control. You weren't in control. Um, this is going to be what it's going to be. And I love that reminder because it's not about us performing. No one's interrupting your performance because you're not performing. Um, you are delivering the word of God to them. And, um, and so, man, that, I think that's just a cool reminder. So it's tough these days. Um, our services are so formal. Um, we live stream stuff all the time. Things are fine tuned. So it's worth remembering in the world that we live in right now, um, remembering and reminding each other that like when we come together, it's a family event. Um, even when there's visitors there, right? So we're inviting people to family, not an audience. Um, there's an old saying that says, what you win them with is what you win them to. So if someone is impressed by your church because of the performance value, and man, that sermon was spot on and there were no distractions, um, then man, if that's why they're they're attracted to the church, um, you better keep that up uh, because once you lose that, they're not attracted anymore, right? But if you're inviting them into family, that's going to include babies crying. It's going to be including you being vulnerable. It's going to include you um, preaching, even if you're not the best preacher in the world. Like that's what you're inviting people into. And so trying to be something different um, 
is, is, I don't know, I think inviting people to something inauthentic um, or to a standard that's difficult to maintain and, and probably isn't worth trying to maintain either. So it, along the lines of, of like learning uh, our people over the long haul, um, you know, I already said this, but we're seeking to be shaped by the sermons that we preach over the long haul. And we want to keep an eye on like what our congregation believes and struggles with. Um, we want to keep an eye on how they're growing, how they're being shaped by what we preach. Uh, Mark Allen Powell says, empathy cannot be assumed, predicted, or controlled. Preachers need to realize that the people in the pews may be hearing the story from a different perspective than they do. What this means for you is that a sermon that seeks to build on what you take to be a self-evident connection with a text is likely to fail. The assumed connection may not be self-evident for many parishioners. I think I mentioned this before. The premise in Mark Allen Powell's book is, you know, um, things like a preacher will tend to identify with Jesus, whereas the average uh, churchgoer will tend to identify more with the disciples or other characters and less directly with Jesus. And, and what he's advocating for is know your people, know your people well enough to know as they're reading this, who might they be identifying with this in this, in this passage? We can assume, um, we can assume they'll see it the same way that we do, but often that assumption is misguided and makes the sermons less effective. So knowing people well enough to know, I think, I think these people are going to be re- resonating here more. I think this is the part of the this story that might be a better connection to them. Um, and that, and that, only comes through knowing people well and in prayer and things like that. So um, you need to preach to people that are actually there, not to a hypothetical congregation. And we need to adjust as we need. I think this is so important. Um, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about how um, uh, community gets ruined when people are committed to their dream of what community is. You get like an idealized community in your mind and you care a ton about community in this idealized sense. But he says, if you're, if that's you, you, you're so easily destroy actual community because you like I, community in the ideal. Um, but what you have to love is the actual people that you're stuck with. Like that's the only way to have actual community is these specific quirky, weird people. Um, and so loving those folks is what community is. But if you're committed to the idea of community, so often these people become hindrances, distractions. And so just back to uh, this whole thing, preaching to the people that are actually there, not to the people that you wish were there, not to the people that you see on TV when these big name celebrity preachers preach their messages and everyone's just in awe of them. Nope. You don't get to preach to those people. You're preaching to the very weird, very real people that are in your church family and know them well enough to know how they respond and care. And and um, don't disrespect them by trying to preach for someone else's audience or preach like you're on um, some massive stage at some big conference. Preach like you're in the room. If the room's small, preach like you're in a small room. If you, the room's big, preach like you're in a big room. But um, but paying attention to the actual people, that's what matters. Um, I, I feel like I see a lot of churches and preachers um, you know, they say dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. And we can so easily posture ourselves towards like, okay, we want to be a big church. We want to be an exciting church. We want to be a high production value church. Um, and you're preaching, like really, your preaching can just miss the people that are actually there if you're trying to be a certain way that's inauthentic to the gathering and the people that are there. So pay attention to all that. Um your congregation changes as people join the church and as people leave the church. Like that's just happens. Um, your congregation changes as the world changes around us, right? Like technologies and, um, and stuff like I, man, the world changed so much during COVID and people's habits of being and ways of interacting changed dramatically. Um, the congregation changes as we continue to live and learn and grow together. It often it changes for the positive, right? Um, as challenges, tragedies affect our church family and our larger world, 
all those things um, kind of shape who we are. And so keeping in mind, learning uh, the people that we're preaching to is so important. Um, church planners do this. When they're getting ready to ch- plan a church, they do a whole demographic study of who are these people? What do they care about? Uh, what are their interests like? What are their, their schedules like? And, um, and so I think there's a good invitation there for us to just be continual learners of the people that we get a chance to um, minister to. It's huge. All right, third big point. Keep an eye on developing your unique, authentic style of preaching. So in addition to having a burden for preaching, in addition to being a lifelong learner, the people that are there, um, keep an eye on like developing your unique style. Um, so I want to say like learn from other people, but don't imitate other people. Um, it's healthy to learn from people. Like I, I often do listen to other preachers. I get a sense of different styles, techniques, ways of emphasizing things, strategies for telling stories, means of structuring a sermon. Like all those things are really helpful. And that's a lot of what I'm trying to share with you here is a lot of what good things other people have said. Um, I think it's good to pay attention to different ways of using the tone of your voice, the volume of your voice, the pacing, pauses, things like that. Like those are all really helpful. I think it's great to like try some things on, see if they fit, like see if they, see if you like it, see if it works, see if it feels effective to you. Um, um, But I do think at the same time, it's unhealthy to try to preach exactly like someone else or to equate success in preaching with one person's ministry. If, if the way Francis Chan preaches is the one and only way to preach, um, then the rest of us mere mortals are in trouble. You know, like he's got a specific kind of a gift and he's a specific kind of a person and he's trying to be faithful to what God's calling him to do. So let him do that and, and learn from him. Try some of his things on, see if it works for you. Um, but but the successful preaching does not look like learning to preach exactly like he preaches or like anyone preaches. And so just pulling, putting that aside, that weight and that pressure um, you could think someone else is literally a perfect preacher, but that doesn't mean that, that that's how you should preach specifically. Um, and so like, you know, you could be effective in a preaching style, but it could be authentic, inauthentic to who God has made you to be. Um, and so walk the line of stretching yourself to be like, learn new things um, and be better at what you do with your techniques and all that, but also like refuse to be someone that you're not. Um, and so God's given you a voice, a perspective and a set of experiences Um and a setting to preach in. And so trying to be authentic to all those things. Um, I, I think, you know, we need to read First Corinthians 12 from time to time. We talked about this in the last session, but combat the sense that if we don't look, sound, and function just like whoever, um, then that means we're not meant to be preachers. Um, it's just not true. I've been a part of big churches where um, all of us, uh, you know, preachers with lesser experience, maybe I'll just say, we're trying to live up to what the main person was doing and it was just a train wreck. It's a train wreck to see people trying to preach just like that main person because everyone's like, yeah, that's a crappier version of what this person does. And um, so much better to just be yourself. Now, And, and again, being yourself means um, that you regularly evaluate your messages. Seek to find and develop your voice. So we're not saying don't improve. Like be yourself doesn't just mean be apathetic, but it does mean like, yeah, like evaluate your messages. Um, seek to find like this is what my voice sounds like. This is this is how I tend to communicate. This is how I would say something naturally. Um, and so I would invite you, like, work on that. Work on finding that voice and identifying. One big way to do it is to listen back to your messages. If it's live streamed, um, watch the live stream. See what your weird mannerisms is are. See, like, see how you wander back and forth across the stage. See which side of the stage you favor when you're moving this way or that way. Um, just listen to the sound of your voice. Uh, often, I, I mean, I still wrestle with 
talking too fast. Uh, like I do it all the time. I, I try to be conscious of it in almost every sermon. Slow down, Mark. Slow down, Mark. And I have a really hard time um, getting myself to slow down. And part of it is just I am a person that talks a little faster, a little more excitedly. Um, and I think that's okay. But I also want to be able to work on those things and be like, okay, let me figure out how, what it looks like for me to slow down some and um, and make it fit for the people that I'm talking to. Um, I, I will just say from personal experience, it is really uncomfortable to listen to your own messages. But I think it's a great way to prove it. It's one of the it's really hard to improve without being able to listen uh, to what it sounds like to the people that are hearing it. Um, sometimes you're going to find, man, message was better than I thought it was, but you also could find that it's way worse than you think. Um, but you'll be able to identify what your pacing sounds like. You'll be able to figure out what your verbal quirks are, the things that you say without realizing that you say them. Um, you'll find problems with the flow of your message. Like, man, that wasn't very logical, that transition there. Or that transition felt a little um, harsh and bumpy. It didn't flow well together. Um, and, and you'll be able to find areas like this is worth working on. This is worth trying to improve. Um, it's a really good, it's a really good habit to get into. Um, and I think just, you know, paying attention to our, our voice and our style as it emerges, um, identify areas we want to grow in. So, um, try to improve the flow of our sermon, your, your sermons, uh, the flow of your, like, like the ability, your technical ability, your technical skills. Um, but you know, also like work on developing your manner of speaking, your style, cadence, try to figure out like how to better use illustrations or stories, how to better transition into and out of stories and illustrations, um, all those kinds of things. Otis Moss says, preaching is an oral art, not a written form. We're not reading essays from the pulpit, y'all. It is rooted in sound, the dynamics of the voice. That is your paintbrush. That is your tool that you use. Whatever that sound may be, whether it is dynamic, high, loud, booming voice, whatever, use what God gave you. It is rooted in sound. I love that. And that, there, there's, the, there's the invitation to listen back and find what it is. O Otis is speaking out of a black church tradition. Um, and so just that whole thing of like rooted in sound, use that tool, like that's your paintbrush. Man, that's something we could totally, like myself as a white preacher could totally learn uh, to be more expressive, to use my my voice and my cadence and my flow of everything more as a paintbrush, more compelling, more engaging, uh, and, and less just sitting there reading an essay. Even when I'm extemporaneous, it can feel like just reading an essay. And so just realizing we've got these tools available, so let's use them and let's commit. If we're going to be preachers, let's commit to every time. Let's keep working on improving what we're doing and try to try to gain a little bit more, learn a little bit more, become a little bit better. Because what that's doing is it's taking the gifts that God's given us um, and, and saying, these gifts matter and I'm going to invest in them. And I'm going to, I want to be as effective as I can towards inviting people into a compelling life with Jesus. The fourth point that I want to make is um, unsurprisingly, Maintain an ongoing prayer life directly related to your preaching. Prayer is prayer is it, man. Prayer is it. Um, if you're preaching without praying, it's a waste. Uh, I found a I found a letter for myself uh, that I wrote when I was in college, so you know, twenty some years ago now. And <clears throat> the whole point of it was, uh, you know, Mark, you're going to be prone to get things done in ministry. You're going to be prone to um, work hard, try to accomplish things, try to influence people. But uh, I'm learning at this early stage of my life, this is me writing back when I'm in college, that prayer is vital. Never stop praying. You'll be worthless without it. 
I've forgotten that so many times and I've remembered it. I found that letter a couple of times again, and it's such a good reminder to me. Uh, there was something I experienced when I was in college of you can work so hard, you can get so caught up, but you've got to be praying. And I'm trying so hard to prioritize that prayer and that time with God and to trust myself less and trust God more and um, and and to prioritize, man, I, I, I know what I need to accomplish to get this sermon ready, but I need to spend time uh, just allowing God to speak to me. So, so important. So I think prayer fosters the right posture for each sermon and for our preaching ministry as a whole. So David, David Helm says, it would be a mistake to think that preaching can be done in isolation, as if God's great and glorious work of converting and establishing his church rested upon our activity. We who preach must become those who pray. This alone is a sure indication that we understand how the church comes into being and blossoms in the world. And it causes us as expositors to prepare messages on our knees as well as from behind the study desk. By experience, we know what it is to plant our faces in the floor and plead for God to accomplish the work that our best efforts in preaching cannot. I don't have anything to add to that. It's just such a good, good reminder. We who preach must become those who pray. Charles Spurgeon says, if you as ministers are not very prayerful, you are much to be pitied. If in the future you shall be called to sustain pastorates, large or small, if you become lax in secret devotion, not only will you need to be pitied, but your people also. And in addition to that, you shall be blamed and the day cometh in which you shall be ashamed and confounded. Pretty sinister, but I think really accurate. Um, Feel bad for the pastor that's not praying, for the preacher who's not praying, and feel bad for the person that that person's preaching to. So don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Um, Get down on your knees. Beg God to be working. Um, Talk to him often and much and deeply about what you're preaching and about all of life, and that's just going to be so much better. Week after week, our sermons require the fellowship with God that comes through deep saturation in prayer. And so the invitation is there. Um, Spurgeon again, he says, prayer may not make you eloquent after the human mode, but it will make you truly so for you will speak out of the heart. It will bring fire from heaven upon your sacrifice and thus prove it to be accepted of the Lord. And he's so good with imagery. Um, and that's it. Just, just be prayerful. Uh, and maybe, maybe you don't become more eloquent in the sermon, but actually it makes you deeper and better and, and increases the force of what you're doing. My last point in this whole thing continuously invest in long-term character and authenticity. Um, Aside from your investment in your preaching skills, invest in your character and your long-term authenticity because um, the last thing we need is another preacher that can get good at speaking um, but that falls short morally. Like that's so, so devastating for people. And you can preach two people for a long time in a really powerful way and ruin the whole thing uh, through poor character. Um, we have to have a goal that's deeper than simply being a good preacher. Um, so John Piper says, don't strive to be a kind of preacher, strive to be a kind of person. And amen to that. Absolutely. Um, I think if your whole goal is to be a good preacher, I think you're kind of a narcissist. It's, it's, um, inherently wanting, uh, my main goal is to be a certain kind of public persona is that stinks as a goal. Um, and it shows, I think something's off there. Try to be a kind of person. And if God wants to use that kind of a person to preach to people, that's a, bl- that's a blessing. That's a gift. Um, nobody has the right to be in the pulpit. Nobody has the right to like stand up and speak for God. I deserve this. I've earned this. Um, this is my role. Um, that's, that's absolute nonsense. And it's so bad for your own soul and for the souls of the people that you're trying to preach to. Um, it's a gift to be able to do this. And so cultivating the type of heart that 
God might use to do it, but man, just letting him decide like, God, are you going to allow me to preach or not? And that's up to him. And we only hurt ourselves by trying to force those kinds of things. The goal ultimately in all this is the glory of God, right? The goal is being like the person that God's made us to be. The goal is the spiritual growth of the people we're ministering to. Being a good preacher, like it might mean, like it might be a means to all those things, but it's not like, I don't know, it just, we don't want to mistake the ends with the means. Um, we want to be good preachers, but th- that's not the point. Um, the point is so that God can be glorified in ourselves, our ministries, and the people that we're ministering to. So I, I think along these lines, we need to commit ourselves to lifelong spiritual rhythms that nourish our own relationships with God. Um, so some wise words here, John Piper, make your life, especially the life of your study, a life of constant community with God in prayer. The aroma of God will not linger on a person who does not linger in the presence of God. It's a good reminder. Like find ways, if you're going to be preaching with any degree of regularity, find ways to make sure you're deepening your relationship with God because, um, I mean, there's so many reasons for that, but it makes you deeper. It makes you healthier, connects you to God. He's the one that's working in all this. And so we need to be close to him. Charles Spurgeon, that'll be my last quote. And this is a long one here. Certainly the flame of zeal and the renewed heart, however divine, must be continually fed with fresh fuel. Even the lamps of the sanctuary needed oil. Feed the flame, my brother, feed it frequently, feed it with holy thought and contemplation, especially with thought about your work, your motives in pursuing it, the design of it, the helps that are waiting for you, and the grand results of it, if the Lord be with you. Dwell much upon the love of God to sinners and the death of Christ on their behalf and the work of the Spirit upon men's hearts. Think of what must be wrought in men's hearts ere they can be saved. Remember, you are not sent to whiten tombs, but to open them. And this is a work which no man can perform unless, like the Lord Jesus at the grave of Lazarus, he groans in spirit, and even then he is powerless apart from the Holy Ghost. Above all, feed the flame with intimate fellowship with Christ. No man was ever cold in heart who lived with Jesus on such terms as John and Mary did of old, for he makes men's hearts burn within them. I never met with a half-hearted preacher who was much in communion with the Lord Jesus. Those are good words. And just that last sentence, I never met with a half-hearted preacher who was much in communion with the Lord Jesus. Meaning, if you're spending time with Jesus, you're, you're not going to be half-hearted. It's going to transform you. It's going to change you. And it's 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 what this whole life is about anyways, is being with him. So uh, for the sake of helping other people draw near to him, um, you can't neglect uh, your own connection with him. That's the point of the whole thing. So my plea at the end of this all is to never stop your authentic pursuit of being a sheep under the care of the good shepherd. It's like, you know, you want to be the kind of person that you want your congregation to be, um, which is not someone who's perfect, not someone who has it all together, not someone who has all the answers, but someone who is like taking the word of God seriously and engaging in that from the heart. That's what you want. And so be that person, um, uh, be that. And may your sermons, let your sermons be examples of that. Uh, That's so vital. It's so important for us to, model the actual thing, not the wisdom, not the, not the insight, not the cleverness, not the scholarly nature of a thing, not the winsome speaking style. Model for them what it looks like to be someone that's just seeking to do your best to follow God, to love people, to still make mistakes, and to know that you're still pursuing God himself. I mean, these are all the things um, that are the right thing to do, the right way to go. Um, I think if you ever find yourself acting inauthentically, um, just like Talk to the Lord about it, right? Talk to someone who can help you about it. Um, all those things are so important and so helpful. I want to close this whole thing by reading um, 1 Timothy 4. And here's Paul 
talking to Timothy and he's giving him instructions. We've read a, a little, some pieces of this um, uh, over the last few sessions here. Um, but his words are so helpful. He's writing to his young uh, successor in Timothy, who he's sending out to, um, to talk to people here. And so I'm going to read First uh, Timothy 4, verses 11 through 16. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by a prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. My prayer is that this just gives you thoughts, gives you direction, maybe gives you some inspiration for following where the Lord's leading as you're seeking to preach. I I really hope that the big picture is invest the time to understand the passage well, let it guide you, um, be prayerful through the whole thing, and and let's just take this seriously and invest in um, doing what we can to craft this as well as we can, knowing that the word of the Lord does what he sends it out to do. He's the one that is the good shepherd. We get to be smaller shepherds, um, helping him, uh, serving him, uh, working together with him, with people. And so my prayer is that whatever you do, however you grow, that some of these things, these thoughts give you some categories to pursue as you uh, seek to just bless people by uh, following that calling that the Lord's given you to preach.